Guess who's back? COVID-19 and Liberty Lockdown. Oh, they're going to put me in my house again. Oh, they're going to try. But I will not comply. No, ma'am. I ain't staying in my goddamn house. I'm not a criminal. I'm not sick. I don't have the virus. You can't keep me at home. I ain't going to do it. So, I watched this crazy seminar or lecture, I guess it was, from 1969 by a guy named G. Edward Griffin, who went on to uh, write The Creature from Jekyll Island in the early 90s, which was a really well-researched book about the Federal Reserve. I didn't know anything about this guy otherwise, so this was all new to me, but he did this lecture that is inexplicably on YouTube still called More Deadly Than War, and... Well, I don't agree with many of the conclusions he comes to, which are like largely about communism taking over and how we have to be hyper vigilant. Obviously, since he said all this in 1969 and we're still not fully communist, he was quite a bit ahead of his time. But I agree with the general um, warnings that he had for us. And moreover, I wanted to briefly discuss a metaphor that he used to describe what's going on. And I think it's as apt a metaphor as I've heard because I've I've really struggled myself to like explain exactly why I'm so uneasy you know why why I am so nervous about the trajectory of our country and our culture and our society um, what he called was the the pincer so it'd be like a uh, like a pincher bug the pincer at the end and he said quote the silent majority the average person with no particular axe to grind is caught right in the middle he looks above and he sees highly respected spokesmen for government calling for socialist le legislation. He looks below and he sees mobs of demonstrators shouting for the same thing. He says to himself, has everyone gone crazy? What does it mean? Now he's still in the majority, of course, but he doesn't know it. He thinks he's helplessly outnumbered and he bows to what he thinks is the democratic will of the majority. Then you rinse and you repeat until communism is, is achieved. Well, I should have said end quote. The, the last part about rinse and repeat until communism is achieved is uh, basically my summary of what he says. I thought it was a great metaphor. Uh, it definitely feels exactly like what we're experiencing. You know, that everything you watch on the news, it's not just the news anymore. Jesus, it's like all of pop culture, essentially. Sports too. ESPN, for God's sakes. Every avenue, I feel like I'm being told that all of my thoughts are crazy and fringe and unacceptable. And when you look at the top, the top half of the pincer that's coming down on us is the media. You know, it's the, uh, it's in his, in his view, he was talking about it being the government. I don't think that he understood or knew how successfully the media would be taken over by the communists. And, well, I don't necessarily believe that they're all communists. I do believe they're almost entirely Marxist in their ideology. Um, or at least they've been cowed into, you know, carrying water for that ideology. As well as the lower pincer, which is essentially just the rioters, the looters, the, the disenfranchised, the people that are scared, you know, the people that don't know why the American dream for them has failed. So in the earlier part of his... 
lecture was about basically how the socialists would use the racial divide in our country to take over. So kind of a divide and conquer strategy, but more so a focus on emphasizing the division, you know, emphasizing the differences in us culturally, overstating our differences even, um, really the complete opposite of what you'd imagine a progressive would want. But when you look around, it couldn't be more obvious. I mean, my entire childhood, and I think everyone's really, was I was brought up to believe that superficial differences like skin color, hair color, eye color, whatever, was irrelevant. And, you know, that that was woke <laughs> in the 90s. And I definitely felt fine with that. I felt like that was the most reasonable way to approach life, you know, like have friends of all different appearances, looks, whatever, who cares? Um, as long as they're good people, I could care less. And that's no longer an acceptable outlook. In fact, that's many people would consider it racist, you know, for me to, to be ignoring the racial orientation or whatever, the pigment of my friends, family, peers, whoever's around me. It, it's not, it's not a, it's not a way of viewing the world I'm willing to adjust to. I'm not, I'm not willing to become racist to be, to be anti-racist. And I don't know how they've so successfully convinced all of these people uh, to basically discard what I think is really a righteous way of looking at the world is to say, hey, we're just people, you know, who cares that you look different from me? It, it's really irrelevant, like content of your character, the MLK quotes, you know, like they, if a white guy were to say an MLK quote in 2020, he would be considered a racist and potentially excommunicated from society. I mean, that's madness. That's psychosis as far as I'm concerned. What uh, G. Edward Griffin pointed out was, you know, they would be doing this through the colleges. So he, he got that one right all the way back in 1969. You know, it took them quite a while to get the ball rolling, but 50 years later, and it's a pretty much done deal. You know, it's a takeover. When I was in college in 2008, I didn't have much in the way of woke craziness. Um, I was in the school of business, so I probably avoided a lot of it just because of my major. But I know from speaking with other people and just seeing the general, you know, outlook of people that graduated in the 2012 to 18 range that really it took off in about 2010 and it made it so that you can't just not be a racist you have to be anti-racist and to me it's so clearly a, a strategy of division it's a strategy of it's basically a religion at this point you know you you have to bow at the altar we have police washing the feet of black pastors we have obvious religious rituals are occurring you had people on their knees disclaiming their whiteness, their privilege to black speakers with, you know, bullhorns as they shout them commands that they have to reiterate verbatim. I mean, when I use the word excommunication, it's intentional from the Catholic Church. That is that is the religion of the day. And I've talked about this on Twitter where it just really feels that while I'm not a religious person, I I consider myself agnostic. I, I think that there's a potential for a higher power. I think that there probably is, but I don't I don't have a name for it. I don't know what it is. 
And I'm kind of okay with that. Not to mention, I also think that the churches have had their own downfalls via human elements. So I don't think that I would ever necessarily go for a real structured religion. But what I'm rethinking is kind of my dismissal of religion as a necessity for a society. It's disappointing that I'm doing that because I really felt like given all of the evils of the church, the religious wars historically, the amount of death and destruction that was brought about by not not religion itself, but kind of a bastardization of religion, made me hopeful that perhaps humanity was ready for an era of peace without quote-unquote God. Not that you couldn't have a belief in a higher power, but just that you wouldn't you wouldn't go kill someone for being a non-believer. I'm starting to think that that's an impossibility because when I look in the eyes of the religious zealot known as the white leftists in this country, I see as psychotic a break with reality as I've ever seen in any religious person's eyes. I see a devout, deeply held belief in the church of self-hatred. <laughs> I mean, it, it really does seem like They've, they've almost made a religion out of self-flagellation. It's like S&M to the extreme. And both in my private life and in my uh, political life, I'm not into S&M. Not my thing. Sorry to disappoint, guys. But uh, <laughs> I'm just not into getting beat, you know? I, I really don't want to beat somebody, and I don't want to be beat myself. What I see personally is just a clear, like, there's just, it's been so many decades now of just guilt just driven into these white leftists that they seem ready to be abused, like, like they need it. I don't know if it's, you know, they talk a lot about privilege. I don't know if it's a product of privilege, if it's, if it's, or if it's just a product of being told that you're privileged, if it's a product of being told that you've had everything given to you and that other people have, had to had things taken away from them for you to receive those goods. That's kind of what it seems like, you know. There's just such a deep sense of guilt when you see these people. I mean, it's almost as if they've given up on their individuality. They're just willing to be cannon fodder for the woke zealots. And that leads me to my uh, article from Matt Taibbi, who only writes an article like four times a year, but they're always pretty damn good. Even though I don't think he's a great economic analyst, I really appreciate his work. He's one of the few on the left that's willing to call out the left to kind of do what journalists used to do, which is try and report the facts. And when it's a narrative or an opinion, you state it as opposed to just burying it in the article so that you know only people that are awake like you and I can actually identify it. Um, anyways... His article was called, The News Media is Destroying Itself. And, you know, a little late to the game there, Matt, but yes, yes, they are. And he said, quote, The leaders of this new movement are replacing traditional liberal beliefs about tolerance, free inquiry, and even racial harmony with ideas so toxic and unattractive that they eschew debate, moving straight to shaming, threats, and intimidation. They are counting on the guilt-ridden, self-flagellating nature of traditional American progressives will not stand up for themselves and will walk to the razor voluntarily. End quote. Yikes. Um, I guess that's where I got the self-flagellation line because I read that like an hour or two before I came on the air. Anyways, uh, I think he nails it, you know, and it is so true that, you know, they have to walk to the razor voluntarily. But is it voluntary? 
I, I think I'd push back on that a little bit. You know, there's so much peer pressure, the over socialization of this generation and their need for acceptance is so paramount in their lives. Um, something I've never really related to as like a pretty staunch individualist and coming from a generation that that was an acceptable way to live and to, to, you know, to look at things. I, I haven't worried about acceptance. I haven't worried about stepping on toes and it served me well, but this culture is so narrow. The, the Overton, the Overton window of acceptable thought for this generation is about as narrow as anything I could imagine. Our president, Barack Obama, didn't accept gay marriage at the beginning of his presidency. That was 08. I mean, <laughs> 12 years ago, the first black president wasn't would have been banished in modern standards. That's that's how quickly things are moving. And while I am personally pro gay marriage, I well, I'm personally pro the government getting the fuck out of marriage in the first place. But yes, if you want it to be recognized by the government, sure, the government should recognize gay marriage. I also think that they should recognize polygamy. I, you know, I'm one of those freaks like that that thinks that the government should just let free consenting adults whatever do whatever they want. Um, but the point being, their hero, their god, Barack Obama, was a bigot by their standard. That's how quickly the Overton window shifted. And I think a lot of people lose that perspective. You know, it it happens, I think our news cycle's so fast that life is actually speeding up, you know, sensation-wise. And our memories are speeding up so that things that were not that long ago feel like a lifetime ago. Now, 12 years ago is a long time if you're 20, but for someone in their 30s like myself, 12 years ago is very much within my adult memory and it's just mind-boggling that a commonly held belief from, I mean, let's be real, there's lots of other examples too from a decade ago that now would get you banished. Defunding the police, Jesus Christ, like that that's not even a concept that would have been considered ever until, I don't know, two months ago? And now it's like 35% of the population is advocating for it, which, I mean, it's still a minority, but it's just... It's just shifting very rapidly. And what concerns me about this, I read another couple of articles this week from Creative Deduction off Twitter. He's got a good blog, uh, creativededuction.com. And he talked about the Bolshevik you know, revolution and the crimes of communism. So I read both of his pieces. There's part one, part two. The part one, and I guess this is something I didn't really know about. Obviously, I knew that 30 million people, give or take, died over the 40 years of communism in Russia. What I didn't know that was that it had started in like 1918, give or take, and you would have a few million deaths here, and then you would have kind of a takeover. This was under Lenin's reign. And then you would have starvation, more war, more death. You're just like millions, millions, millions. And then... Suddenly in like 1920-something, they realized like, okay, we're having starvation because communism isn't working because we, because <laughs> it doesn't. And so they, they briefly pull back and this is what blew my mind. After, after he died in 1924, six years later with Joseph Stalin in power, they went back to communist control and the killing of the Kulaks, which were the, the, farm, the farm owners in the 1930s 
creating the biggest starvation in the history of mankind. Uh, Well, except for maybe China in the 1900s as well, also under communism. The reason I bring all of this up is that we're, we're in that trend. You know, I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not the fear monger type that's going to say, you know, like G. Edward Griffin, you know, in our lifetime, we will have gulags and we're going to have death and destruction. We're going to have wars for communism. I would be lying if I said that I didn't think the trend was in that direction. And if, if we are going to allow the pincer action to convince us that we are the minority and that we're going to accept democratic directives in the direction of communism, that's what we're going to get. That's clearly where we're headed is towards both economic ruin and civilization ruin in my opinion as they you know it's funny because it's always it's always talked about as bringing us together we have to accept uh each other's differences that's how it was discussed when i was a kid it's not so much discussed in those glowing terms anymore but that's still the general message is like oh racism is bad but it's no longer just bad it's like you have to pay it's vengeful it's vindictive it's no longer like live and let live it's let me live and how about you maybe die because you're responsible you did this to me now i think it's a really sick collective mindset to believe that someone who was born in 2000 is responsible for slavery in 1860 think about how sick that is not to mention the fact that you're being racist by assuming someone's skin tone means that they own slaves as if one only white people own slaves or two every white person owns slaves or three every white person in this country was from this country all the way back to the 1800s which i would imagine is probably a minority of people that are actually direct descendants of people from the you know early 1800s in this country we have a tremendous amount of immigration all of my relatives came over in the you know early 1900s I'm extremely American and I'm super white. So you would think, well, there's a chance that Clint over here is a descendant of slave owners. I'm not, I'm not. And I, and I would imagine the vast, vast, vast majority of white people in this country benefited not one iota from slavery itself. Now you can get into the argument about white privilege because cops don't kill us as often or that employers may give us jobs. We can talk about all that. I'm fine with a discussion about that, but I am not okay with accepting the reparatory mindset that I need to repair the evil that was slavery from a generation 100 years prior to my, my relatives even arriving on this piece of dirt. It's psychotic. No, I will not comply. And the reason it's so concerning to me is that I'm, I'll be the first to admit you know, fascism and Nazis deserve to be high up on our list of concerns moving forward. But you know what should really be at the top of the list, given the trajectory of acceptable speech in this country, is Marxism, is communism, is to a lesser extent, but very much where we're headed, for sure where we're headed, is socialism. 15 million people were murdered by the Nazis, give or take. Six million of which were Jews, give or take. You would think that that's the biggest tragedy that happened in the 1900s. It's not even close. Just the communists, just in Russia, had over 30 million deaths over the 40-year period that they attempted communism. So, 
twice as many people died in Russia under communism as died in Germany as they tried to take over the world. Think about that. Six million of which came from Ukraine as they starved them to death intentionally in the Holodomor. The extents to which communism knows no bounds when it comes to evil is breathtaking. Now, I am horrified at the experimentation, the concentration camps, the unbelievable death, destruction, despair that was wrought upon humanity by the Nazis. But we all know to fear fascism. I don't, I don't know anyone in this country advocating for it, but I know so many people advocating for what amounts to communism. It's politically acceptable to be openly communist in this country, and that is unacceptable to me. The reason I'm bringing up all this on, on today's show is because I'm so concerned with the lack of memory when it comes to the evils of communism. And I I guess I buried myself in information about communism over the past week, and that's why I'm so obsessed. But I really think it's important because the trends in, in the modern culture are so clearly in that direction. And it begins with the acceptance of a lockdown, you know? And that's why I've been, that's why I named my show Liberty Lockdown. I really believe that that was a turning point in the trajectory of humanity. I think that the acceptance of this, especially by the most free, freedom-minded, freedom-valuing society, perhaps in the history of the world, the United States of America, even we accepted it. Moreover, the entire world accepted it, something I never thought I'd see. I have chills just thinking about it. It's like, we never, we never had anything like that, folks. I just want to like remind you, that was never a thought, a never a consideration that you would lock everyone in their houses for months. Never. We've had way worse pandemics. We've had way worse wars. We've had way, war, way worse natural disasters. We've had way worse lots and lots and lots of things. Never have we considered that as a possibility. I think it's important you ask yourself why. In, in my opinion, it has a lot to do with the fact that people are more and more willing to accept the authority of expert. They've been taught through public schooling that you are to listen to your teacher, or in this instance, the media, or in this instance, the government, um, or in this instance, the scientists, the doctors, Fauci. Uh, you have to trust these people implicitly. Be willing to sacrifice your freedom your well-being, your finances, your finances, everything. You have to you have to sacrifice it for the greater good. I think that's that's what makes me so deeply concerned. It's about the quote greater good. End quote. Folks, it ain't about the greater good. Okay? Because there is no way in hell you could look at the lockdown and come away in hindsight. I I I saw it beforehand, but I'll grant everyone a pass. Look at it in hindsight. I beg of you. Look at the countries that didn't lock down versus those that did, and you'll come away with the obvious conclusion. The lockdowns were a catastrophic mistake. They saved no lives. They cost us millions of lives. We, we will have death and destruction and despair from this that stretches for possibly decades, honestly. And they didn't save any lives. The trajectory of the pandemic has been the same wherever you look. That's just a fact. It's crazy. I'm not saying I knew that was going to happen, but 
I did know that the lockdowns were going to chart were, were going to create so much damage that any potential life savings that they would provide would be offset most likely and more so by the knock-on effects the other deaths that come from despair drug use addiction suicide uh, not non-treatment for heart attacks cancer every, everything you could think of and then financial ruin which creates a whole nother level of potential death so yeah it's it's the appeal to selflessness for society that once again is demonstrating an inability to actually help humanity. It's advertised the exact same way communism was, that the individual is irrelevant. The individual doesn't matter. We're trying to save lives here, Clint. Why would you be so selfish as to leave your house and try and make a living? Think about it, folks. Scary stuff. And now they're trying to lock us down again. And I knew it was coming, but I really didn't think that they would have the audacity to do it literally a day after some of the largest protests I've ever seen in my life occurred. And politicians supported them openly. And now they're coming out with additional threats to businesses that are opening, to people that aren't social distancing, blah, 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 blah. I can't believe it. I can't believe the nerve. It's, to me... It, it feels like gaslighting, like intentional gaslighting. And the thoughts I was having about it is that the juxtaposition between the lockdown versus the racism debate really feels like an attempt to radicalize both sides of this country. And I don't know if it's intentional or not, so I'm not going to get into conspiracy theory, but that's what's happening. So I'm just going to analyze it and you can draw your own conclusions as to if there's some nefarious force that's actually trying to make this happen. But the lockdown people are being radicalized because while they debated, I'll just speak for myself because I'm one of them. I'm the lockdown people, the people opposed to it, I should say. I was absolutely adamantly opposed to the lockdown and began protesting it about, you know, six weeks ago or whatever it was and was called every name in the book, even to my face. I was told I was, you know, scum of the earth, blah, blah, blah. And then a month later, after George Floyd's murder, I'm now being called a racist for not protesting. And now today, I'm preparing to be called a racist for protesting yet another set of lockdowns. So I don't know how I can view that as anything other than gaslighting. Um, it's such a disconnect from reality that you could tell me one week, if I'm not protesting, I'm a bigot. And the next week, if I am, I'm a bigot. Well then I guess I'm a bigot because I can't do both of those things. The circumstances haven't changed. The virus still exists. I can still get people sick from going out and protesting. doesn't matter if I wear a mask. Who cares? I could, you know, if you want me to stay home, you want me to stay home. Well, one, I'm not going to do it. But two, this is obvious gaslighting. They're trying to drive us crazy. And I think that that's, I, I you know, the main thing I want to relate to my listening audience is that you're not alone. You're not alone in feeling like they're trying to make you crazy. They are. You know, it sounds crazy to say it, but the more you're just willing to talk about it, I think the more we can actually stop this. We can actually say, we can we can have confidence in talking to our friends and family and opening up like, hey, doesn't this seem like a religious cult? Do I have to, do I have to hate my skin? Because I thought that's what I wasn't supposed to be doing. I thought I wasn't supposed to be hating 
people's skin that weren't mine and also my own, you know, self-acceptance and whatnot. I think that people should be talking a lot more about how they're feeling. And I think that that's, that's a trend that's coming from, you know, like the Matt Taibbi piece about the journalists that are cannibalizing themselves. It's really across all industries, you know, Taibbi is, is centered on the cannibalization of, of the reporter industry, but that's just, that's just because it's the industry he's in. He doesn't, he doesn't necessarily realize or maybe even care that it's happening across all industries, all demographics. It's, I mean, it really is pervasive. It's all of those kids that graduated in 2010 have come into the workforce over the past decade and slowly but surely taken over HR departments and hiring and managing. And even if they haven't, you know, even if they haven't taken positions of authority, they are, there's just so many of them, you know, there's so many of them and they, they all have this capacity for groupthink that is like so linear and so aggressively alienating that, you know, I think that they are converting the the more weak-minded of their leaders, you know, the, the managers that are above them that are 10, 20 years older, that I think that they're horrified of these kids. I'm not afraid because I'm self-employed. I, well, I was, I'm unemployed currently, but thanks to the lockdown, shout out. But I really think that we have to start to talk about these things so that people can realize that they're in a pincer, but they are still the majority. The majority of, of us are not crazy. The majority of us, well, perhaps being indoctrinated and misled and um, taught a historical facts and screwed by public education, the majority of us still value freedom. The majority of us still love this country, their fellow man, uh, their freedom, their capacity for self-defense, their free speech, the Bill of Rights, search and seizure, lay it all out there. The majority of us are, are still sane. We feel crazy, but we're not alone. And I think that the sooner we start to voice our utter discontent with where this country's headed, the faster we could possibly change the trajectory itself, bring people back from the abyss, allow people to, to accept themselves again, to love their fellow man again, regardless of skin color. You start quoting Martin Luther King. <laughs> I, mean, that, I, I don't know how or why Martin Luther King is, is necessary in this moment, given that all we're doing is talking about civil rights. But the truth is, we have to talk. We have to use Martin Luther King's words to go back towards civil rights. The pendulum has swung too far, and that's not to say that well, black people are treated totally fairly in this country, and that there is no additional racism that needs to be fixed. I'm I'm a hundred percent not saying that. What I am saying is we've now gone to the point of hating people for their skin color. Can can I make it more specific than that? That's completely counter to the message of Martin Luther King Jr. and the original civil rights movement. So let's go back to it. Back to the 60s. We're writing just like them. Let's uh, start to think like them. And speaking of the Fourth Amendment, shout out Lady Leberton. She gave me the, uh, or excuse me, Lady Liberty. She gave me the uh, a link to an article on contact tracing that's happening from leoholman.com. And it talks about Texas contact tracing. And I was not aware, but 10,000 apparently contact tracers are, are working in Texas and they are, they have 
apparently guns, according to this article, and they can go to your house, ask for all the people you've been around and, you know, contact information. And then they can obligate you to self-quarantine for 10 to 14 days, I think it was. And if you refuse, they have the authority to fine you. I think it was pretty significant money or up to 180 days in, days in jail. So six months in jail. Pretty crazy. Um, <clears throat> and the conclusion of this article is that, you know, the Fourth Amendment is dead unless we fight back. And what what I find so disturbing about this is this: if this article is true, and and it looks legit, by the way, um, that this is happening in mass in Texas with the most individualist gun-toting yahoos, and they're getting away with it there. The rest of the country has no chance. If Texas is accepting this kind of slave treatment, we're truly deeply fucked. So, God, I hope it's not true. But good conclusion of this is that the guy that they interviewed for the story, who was one of the people that was contacted by the the, uh, contact tracers, said that, you know, he refused and so far he's been left alone. So uh, my hope is that that's a big trend out there and essentially they can't enforce it because there's so many people telling them to shove it. <clears throat> uh, we'll find out. I mean, whether or not, if we start to hear about shootouts in Texas, you'll you'll know why. And then lastly, um, you know, I, I always try to end the show with a little bit of a economic take since that's really my specialty and this is a big one. So buckle in. But CalPERS, which is the California pension plan for all of the government pensions in California. California being, I think it's the fifth biggest economy in the world for any country. It's just the state of California. Obviously, the pension plans for the government here are enormous. So they constitute a massive amount of investment capital. Well, they have to make upwards of, I think, 7% annualized return for them to be able to stay solvent and to pay the benefits to all of their pensioners. Well, that ain't happening. So what they are now doing, they have announced that they will be using $80 billion in leverage to attempt to hit that 7% return. So what that means is they're going to borrow $80 billion against their probably $400 billion uh, pension total to try and juice their returns. And... All this means is that they're going to be purchasing stocks, bonds, whatever, assets on leverage. And that means that if the market goes against them, their losses are also multiplied. So I want everyone to be aware of this trend. What this tells you is that the pensions have overstated their returns, uh, not really necessarily through any fault of their own a normal economy that isn't so screwed up by the Federal Reserve, a 7% return annually is reasonable. But a 7% return when the Fed has rates at zero is really high and very challenging to attain. So this trend is going to be across all states. So that's what I wanted. The reason I wanted to bring it to your attention is because there are dozens and dozens and dozens of states that have pension shortfalls. And there's not just public pensions, too. There's private ones as well. And there's shortages all, all across the board. So what you're going to see is a greater and greater chase for yield that is nearly unattainable. 
and for many it will be unattainable. And if we have a recession or a depression, God forbid, they will be forever unattainable. You will never, ever see those returns um, adequate to make all of the payments that they're obligated to make to their pensioners. That's what people live off of to retire. So you really want to see people start to loot and protest and riot and burn shit? Well, don't pay them their pensions and see what happens. And lastly, what that means is that the Fed is underwriting this entire economy. They have said that they are going to be here for us. So in Fed speak, that means that they're going to be buying everything. And recently they've started to buy corporate bonds, which is something they've never done before. I guess for the, the younger audience, the reason I bring all this stuff up, I, I know not, a, not all of you are like investment gurus or professionals or anything. Maybe some of you don't even invest money. So this is still applicable to you though. And that's what I want to drive home is like whether or not you have stock holdings, being prepared for the economic destruction that's going to come about from these policies is, is all I'm here for. You know, I just want you to be aware of what's happening so that you're not totally caught off guard. I, I don't want to make you feel like, okay, six months from now I'm going to be unemployed. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is you, you could be. <laughs> so you better be saving a bigger chunk of your paycheck and you better be, you know, squirreling whatever you can away. You better be starting your own farm, doing doing whatever you can to prepare a side hustle. Find a way to work for yourself. I haven't talked enough about that. You know, if you're an employee for someone, number one thing that will make it a struggle to ever really be successful in life is if you work for someone else. Because if you're working for someone else, they're taking a portion of your your potential profit because you could be doing it on your own. Now, some employers give infrastructure and training and things that make it so that you couldn't do it on your own. But if you're in a trade that you can do on your own and you're just too lazy to create your own business model, stop, grow up, go do it. Don't be afraid. You have the capacity. You've probably had years of training and years of gaining these skills that you can go out and do it on your own. Do it. You're giving a chunk away of your profit for no reason. You, you will never look back and say, oh my God, I hate working for myself because I get to do whatever I want whenever I want. I mean, unless you're like a total slave automaton, maybe that's for you. Maybe you need a nine to five grinder. Keep going, buddy. I don't know. But for the rest of you, live your dream. I think it's a good way to end it. Love you guys. Talk to you next, next week. Peace out.